welcome to uh, Black Ops for Private Businesses. Uh, the whole point of this show is to provide real-world examples of fraud and internal errors, uh, and then advise you on how to avoid them in your own companies. Uh, I'm the creator and the host of the show. My name is Thomas Molinix. I'm the founder of Revision Management Consulting. Uh, and today I have my brother from another mother, uh, a recent IIA all-star keynote speaker, uh, all-around great guy, Mr. Robert Berry. Mr. Robert Berry, how are you, sir? Hey, man, you know what? I'm better than excellent. Love it. Love it. Absolutely. So uh, you, so where were you at for the, the IIA uh, all-star conference? Where was that located at? We were in Las Vegas. Very nice. I'm not going to ask you what happened there. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Nowadays, though, what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. It ends up on Twitter, YouTube, and you know LinkedIn. So everywhere, right? Yeah, and LinkedIn, right? Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into the show since we're already a few minutes into it here. And you, you've been around for a few years now, uh, working in various internal audit and other business advisory fun advisory functions. Uh, give us example of a time where you experienced either fraud or some kind of a critical or material error within a business. Give us, give us a story. Oh, you know what? I can tell you about a critical, critical error. So I was working for the U.S.'s first uh, internet-only bank, and I was the director of Sarbanes-Oxley. This was right after Sox came out. You know, we eh, it was pretty painful, right? Everybody was using spreadsheets, and some companies still do. Um, my team found a critical error in a spreadsheet used to calculate loan loss reserves. Because this is back when the, the mortgage industry was booming. Yeah. And it was about to go bust. So now, this critical spreadsheet error. I remember when we found it. My guys were looking at it, and they were like, this has got to be wrong. You know, there's no way that the, the, the spreadsheet error is this bad. So I looked at it, and I said, yeah, but I think you guys are right. And I remember I took it to the controller first. And she uh -huh. said some words that I can't use on LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> and then we took it to the CFO. And then he said some words that you can't use on LinkedIn, church, or anywhere else. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> but but it ended up causing us that and some other stuff. We had to do a write down of about one and a half million dollars in a critical quarter where we couldn't afford to do that. I mean, we were out of lending capacity. We were we were doing pretty bad because a lot of our loans were coming back and we were having to write off bad debt expense. And here we had yeah. this error in our reserves. Just real bad. Yeah, that's that, that's not fun. That, that's yeah. got in. You know, as an auditor, we have the challenge of saying what you don't want to say, bringing to light stuff you don't necessarily want to bring to light. So uh, that's always a challenge that's never fun to do. Um, and. In your instance, it was probably just an honest mistake, right? You know, someone was updating a spreadsheet pretty quickly, and they just didn't catch, a, you know, didn't catch a simple calculation error. Um, so, if you were in that position, what would you have done, or what can other companies do right now that rely on spreadsheets? Because let's face it, most of us do. What are some steps that can be put into place to prevent this kind of thing from happening at other businesses? Well, I'll say first, the big problem is. People don't understand that spreadsheets are applications. Yeah. I mean, they're computer applications, hence the reason we call them end-user computing applications or whatever the term is nowadays that you use. So sure. the first thing you got to do is recognize that these are computer applications because you're using them to make critical decisions, to do critical journal entries, to do all kinds of things that actually affect the bottom line of your business. 
So first step is acknowledgement. Mindset is the first thing you have to do in any situation, regardless of what it is. Right. Um, second thing is learn proper controls that should be in place for any type of computer application. Like what? What do you mean? Uh, input controls first. You know, you shouldn't be able to enter alpha characters in numeric fields and vice versa. Um, certain character lengths should be in place. Um, access controls. Not everyone should have access to the spreadsheet just because it's on your shared network drive or on SharePoint or in Google. Uh, what's the Google Sheets? Yeah, you still need to lock no, you it know, down. That's, that, that's one that that I see quite often where uh, yeah. you know it's it can be cumbersome to put in special formulas to prevent alpha numeric, you know, alpha characters and numeric spots. And so some of that, especially for some of these larger spreadsheets, to go back and almost reinvent the wheel can, is very tedious, right? Uh, but just limiting who has access to that spreadsheet, or at least has edit access to that spreadsheet, can really make a big difference, right? One hundred percent, yeah. And then you know, going from that, you can always freeze certain cells or certain parts of the spreadsheet, and that's where uh, that's what I've seen the most common. Where they say, "Oh, I don't want to have to go in there and for every individual cell, put special protections in place." I said, "Okay, fine. The cells that have the formulas." Freeze those cells. That way, nobody can edit the formula. You can edit the data, but don't edit the formula. So that way, because it's easy to look, say, okay, does the you know is the data that we input does that look accurate? Yes, it does, or yes, it reconciles. But it's hard to catch formula errors, right? So by freezing those formulas, that makes it easier as well. Well, but I'll take it a step further. Separate your formulas from your data input. Two separate sheets. Your formulas yeah. are on one sheet. Your data input is on a whole nother sheet. That way people don't even touch the formulas at all or the sheet that the formula is on. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And then <laughs> I worked for a company uh, a while back, long, long time ago now, actually. And they relied heavily on spreadsheets. They had, you know, heavily on the, the different calculations and such. And they had those as the support for you know, audits and, and everything they didn't protect the sheet as far as who could hit delete. And, you know, they had them in, in folders, they had them in shared folders, like you said, not only did they not protect the files where you couldn't delete them, but shared folders quite often are not included in your backups by the IT department because IT is backing up, you know, your, your accounting software, your purchasing software, you know, your inventory, it's not necessarily backing up all of your shared folders and your, you know, the, the individual hard drives of laptops and such. So uh, another critical point, I think, also is when you have these spreadsheets, make sure you have them backed up by the IT department. Don't don't rely on an individual right to back up their stuff, uh, because in, in this instance, someone went in there and hit delete on that shared folder and all of that data was lost. Uh, an absolute nightmare scenario. Yeah, because, well, there is no undelete key, right? I mean, right. Well, I mean, no, I, I tell you what, f funny story. So I, yeah. I worked with this one guy, his name was Rick. And he came to us one day and he said, hey, um, is there an undelete key? And we were like, yeah, man, just go to your recycle bin and you can just put stuff out of your recycle bin. And he said, OK, so that's kind of my undelete key if I delete something on accident. And we were like, yeah. So then he said, well, what if I deleted it from the recycle bin? <laughs> so, 
So literally, he deleted it, then went to his recycle bin and consciously deleted it from the recycle bin and thought that there was a third button, I guess, called the I'm stupid button. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it, <laughs> but I'll never forget that. Is there an undelete key? Undelete. Gotta love it. You know, there's undo, but I've never heard of undelete. That's great. <laughs> uh, you know, my favorite was one of those where, you know, they, they had they made a change, but it completely corrupted the file. And... <laughs> They said, well, you know, I go, well, can you just go to your, your backup tape? They said, yes, but this file was corrupted when we completed things last year and we haven't looked at it for an entire year. So all of the, you know, you don't keep a, a year a log of, of backup tapes. Normally it's 60 days or 90 days, if that. And yeah, sure enough, every file that had been backed up had the exact same error <laughs> all wow. the way through. So uh, yeah, it, it can be, uh, it can be a challenge to say the least. So, um, all right. Slight change of topic for us here. All right. You go to sleep tonight. You wake up. Sun is shining. It's beautiful weather outside. But you're no longer that audit guy. You are now the CFO of a private business. Let's say there's 50 employees. You've got one location, $2 million in annual profits. What's your first steps to help either ID or prevent any kind of potential fraud, material errors? You can't add headcounts and you don't know anybody, you're just in that position. So it's not like you can trust someone, you're just there, what do you do? Ooh, okay. <laughs> so here's what I would do. I'm the CFO, right? So yep. I'm in charge of all financial affairs. The first thing I would do is take a look at my income statement and balance sheet and take a look at all of the line items that are coming in. Now that I've gotten all the line items that are coming in, I wanna know who or what processes are responsible for those things that are on my income statement and balance sheet. I would probably prioritize though and take some of the higher dollar amounts, but I want to know who's in charge of those processes because now I've got some accountability for the things mm -hmm. that are hitting my statements. After I get accountability and I know who's responsible, now I want to understand what your process is just at a high level. Who has the oversight for these who's responsible for approving these and who's responsible for reconciling. So my first check is going to be just a simple segregation of duties. That's it. That's my first thing because what it does is it gets, it gets me a chance to, gives me a chance to know what's happening, who's responsible for it and who's reconciling it. And then I'd have to work, you know, over the next six months to get to know the people behind the processes. But Everything starts with a person and a process. And if I don't know the people, I need to understand who the people are and what the processes are that they actually perform. That's it. You know, it's amazing how much uh, just simple segregation of duties review can address, right? And, and prevent so much fraud. Uh, are you familiar with the Collins Street Bakery fraud instance that happened, oh, probably 10 years ago now or so? No, no. What happened? All right. So, you know, it's Christmas time, so it's a great topic to bring up. Everybody loves a fruitcake, right? So this company, the the primary source of, of revenue uh, is their fruitcakes. And when I say that, I don't say that in, in a jesting manner. They sell millions and millions of dollars of fruitcakes every year. In fact, back in the wow. 70s, the Ayatollah of Iran requested special permission to buy one of their fruitcakes. Okay, that's how popular and well-known this, uh, this company is. So private company. Uh, you know, so you try to keep your headcount very restricted, right, to be able to, to maintain your profitability. And there's one gentleman, and I believe he was controller. He was responsible for 
almost everything when it comes to the accounting function. Okay, almost no oversight. And as things progressed along, he started to take a little bit of money out of petty cash, started writing checks from the the bank account to cover his own uh, credit card statements, that sort of thing. Okay, now uh, I'm trying to remember uh, the town it's in is in Corsicana. Corsicana, Texas is not a gigantic town. All right. So if you're in that town, you notice if suddenly someone starts spending you know, a lot of money or buys nicer cars or, you know, that sort of thing. So you, you notice that uh, he would even brag to the CFO that he was donating more money to a charity than the CFO did. That oh. didn't even you know catch the red flags. Uh, I don't remember the, the final numbers now, but it was somewhere around uh, it was millions. I want to say over 10 million dollars that he stole over a 10 year time. Uh, and it was caught because there was one young lady that was fresh out of college, wanted to understand the business better. So she started looking at the bank statement and the uh, some of the, the credit card stuff in their uh, accounting system. And she noticed a check for a certain amount. It was voided. The next check down was for the exact same amount. And it was made out to, uh, I believe, like Chase Bank or something like that. And she knew they didn't have any accounts with, with Chase Bank. Uh, so she immediately questioned it. Well, he was trying to run out the door on another vacation. Uh, he had a private jet that he would use. Uh, oh, wow. So you, know, you, you got to catch that private jet. And so as soon as he said, oh, you know, don't worry about it. It's fine. I'll look into it when I come back. She dug into it a little more and, you know, red flags immediately just blew up. Right. She took it to the CFO and uh, the, the the FBI was called and uh, you can read all about it online. It's, it's absolutely insane. But it was simply because there was no segregation of duties and there was no oversight at all as far as just simple internal control, reviewing the bank statements. Uh, it's amazing what you can catch just by you know checking bank statements and such. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, well, it's go ahead. Well, you know, the smaller companies, they, they have too much trust in people. Trust but verify, right? That's what Ronald Reagan said. Trust but verify. <laughs> trust but verify. And, you know, it's it's so easy. You know, to, you have one person and you trust them. They, they're they great employee. You don't want to second guess them. You don't want to show that you, you don't trust them because then they aren't going to be happy. You worry about them leaving. Right. You know, you feel you don't want to feel like you're you're micromanaging them. But there's a difference between micromanaging and just providing that general oversight. And to be honest, if you provide that oversight, for one thing, it, strength, it can strengthen your relationship, uh, but also it helps them not have that temptation, right? You know, I'm not gonna leave a stack of $5,000 of cash sitting on this desk and hope nobody takes it. You know, I would at least put it in a drawer so nobody can see it, right? You know, same with this. You don't wanna give someone the opportunity or the perceived opportunity to commit a fraud uh, or be in a, such a hurry they make big errors and mistakes on, on spreadsheets, like you said, and not take the time to review it to make sure you have the, the errors caught and, and corrected. I mean, you could just hide that cash in Joel Osteen's church, though. I mean, that, that seems to be... <laughs> I'm not touching that one. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that seems to be a good place to hide cash nowadays. Apparently. Just hide it in the wall. You're good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm not touching that one at all. Uh, so uh, before anybody leaves here, don't don't leave quite yet. There's a couple of things we want to wrap up with here. So first off, Robert, I'm hoping that quite a few CFOs and private uh, business owners are, are checking this out and hopefully they could get a little bit of advice from them from this today. 
tell us a little bit about you. What kind of services do you provide? Well, um, the primary service that I provide is training for auditors, accountants, finance professionals, and organizations, uh, primarily on soft skills, but also on some of those technical things. Like we can talk fraud and internal controls and things like that. But that is the lion's share of my business. I do some internal audit, co-sourcing and or outsourcing, but it's usually just me. I focus on the smaller organizations, really small. Um, and uh, I'm the host of a podcast and shows and things like that for auditors because I just like to spread knowledge. So, yeah. you know, hence the reason I'm here and we're just having fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do appreciate you being my first guest on the on the very first episode. Uh, you know, you were the first name that popped in my mind whenever I was trying to, uh, to iron all of this out. But um, absolutely. And I, I think you and I piggyback off each other really well, because like you said, you like to go in there solo, taking care of companies and such. But sometimes you need more of a team, right? Or someone that can spend a little more time and focus on there. And that's where my firm comes in. Uh, you know, we have experts that ha average 15, 20 years of experience. Uh, I love personally working with private businesses where I learn the entire organization and help implement these internal controls, right? Uh, it just, it helps give them guidance on where to add headcount in the future or how, you know, are your financials actually accurate, right? So I really enjoy doing that as well. Um, so for anyone else that that is watching the show or maybe you're, you're listening, I am going to be turning this into a podcast as well, assuming everything is recording like it's supposed to. Gotta love technical difficulties. Um, this is going to be a weekly show. Next week, I'm going to, let's see if this will act. Next week, we have Jim Urich, who's going to be on the show. He has over 15 years of experience in internal audit. Uh, accounting, fraud prevention, and similar areas. So make sure you tune in next week. He's a great guest and he's going to have some great advice for you. Um, so yes, this is going to be a weekly show. Next week, I'll have uh, Mr. Yurik. Um, if you want uh, an email copy of this video, I don't know why you would want to, but if you want it in case you missed part of the show, or if you'd like a link to the podcast, so that way you can catch up with any kind of future episodes, shoot me an email or an instant message and I'll get you on the list. It's not a sales list. It's not a marketing list. It's just be able to help share this information and hopefully uh, improve other uh, businesses and prevent any kind of fraud from going on. So um, Robert, I appreciate your time, sir. Uh, it's always a, a pleasure. Is there anything else you'd like to add on before we walk out? No, sir. Awesome. Thank you again. I appreciate it. And thank you for everyone that, uh, that listened. Apparently part of that was silent. So, hey, you got to see a screen with no audio. Gotta love when that happens. But thanks again. And uh, everybody have a great week.